Another plane has crashed into the World Trade Center building. This is unbelievable. You can't tell me what to do. You ain't my mother. Yes, I am. Arguably the most recognizable footballer in the world. Yes. Alright there everyone and welcome back to Hits 21 where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us you can find us over on Twitter, we are at Hits 21 UK. That is at Hits21UK. And you can email us as well. Just send it on over to Hits21Podcasts at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Just like our previous episodes, we'll be looking back at four UK number ones from the year 2001. This time we'll be covering the period between the 2nd of September and the 20th of October 2001. Casting our eyes back to last week, and it's a bit of a Hits 21 first, there was no winner on the <gasps> poll. It was it's a, a tie. So, uh, yeah, it was a tie, uh, 50% of the vote each, for Eternal Flame and 21 Seconds. So, wow. Ooh, Two kinds yeah. of listener there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. So we have a, we, I'm, I'm kind of glad that they both shared it, because I, I would have felt a bit bad... Um, just with everything that you two both said about Eternal Flame last week, if that didn't have more of a mark in Hits 21 history, and so at least it does now. Um, and I would have felt bad if 21 Seconds didn't win, because that was my favourite of last week. So, yeah, no, very, yeah. very pleased about that. Yeah. To quote The Simpsons, Hooray! Everyone's a winner! <laughs> 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 now take out a circle of paper. Um, Andy, got a message for us apparently? Yes, I have two things I want to say. First of all, um, just to let you know, for anyone who thinks I may sound a little bit different, I have about two, three hours ago had some emergency dental work done, which I'm fine, no need to fret, but um, I did have a fairly heavy dose of local anaesthetic. So if I sound a little bit like I'm chewing a rug, that's probably because of that. So uh, please bear with me if my voice sounds a little bit different this week. It will get better throughout the episode because time <laughs> heals. Um, but yeah. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say was we, we I think on behalf of all of us, we got, kind of got quite a noticeable amount of feedback last week. Some really, really lovely stuff from a lot of people. So thank you very much. Um, it, it really meant a lot. Thank you very much for your feedback. It's always lovely to hear that. Yeah, makes uh, recording yeah, the episodes much easier to do as well. Just knowing there's people out there who bother. <laughs> Absolutely, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't worry, Andy, about talking like you're chewing on a rug, by the way. Uh, the wonderful Holly Hunter has made a career um, <laughs> of, of that. So, and she has one of my favourite voices in the whole wide world. So, oh, um, I'd love to be in The Incredibles. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, as always, we are going to take you back, uh, not just through the songs of 2001, but the news headlines as well. 
On September the 11th in the United States of America, 2,996 people are killed in four coordinated terrorist attacks carried out by Al-Qaeda and their leader Osama bin Laden. 19 terrorists hijacked four commercial airliners, crashing two of them into the World Trade Center in New York City, a third plane into the Pentagon in Virginia, while a fourth plane crash-landed in a field after a passenger revolt. The next day, US President George Bush declared a war on terror, which began in earnest a month later. Yeah, I think this is the, the biggest event that we'll ever discuss on the podcast yeah. really isn't it yeah. this is by far yeah. the biggest i mean yeah to sort of take us back to 2001 i mean i was nine years old and it was certainly the biggest single world event that happened in my childhood my, my approach to it mm -hmm. because i was so overwhelmed by the scale of it my approach to it was to kind of tackle it head on and learn as much about it as i could so i've always kind of had a sort of weird curiosity about it just because it's so horrendously awful that's sort of my way of dealing Same. with it and i think everyone yeah. has their own their own approach to something as unimaginable as this really don't they yeah absolutely um your memories your respective memories you two of this will be i imagine a lot stronger because i was only six seven mm. when this happened I remember being taken into the hall in school and being told that something serious had happened in America, but I didn't really fully understand it until years later. Um, but I think it's probably clearer in films than in pop music, but you were saying, Andy, yeah. about this being like the biggest event of our childhood. I do think apart from World War Two, I think this is probably the probably well i'd say if you include in world war ii it's probably the second biggest event in modern history I yeah well i mean it's defined everything that's touched it since and even yeah, things that haven't yeah. absolutely I mean, i'm not really sure how much we can say other than how horrendously awful it was and um yeah. how everything changed yeah yeah yeah, I mean, just speaking of my own experience, it's funny how much I don't really remember of it. And I was I was older than both of you. And I think all I remember is kind of getting home from school and it being all over the news. And I don't remember what I did with the rest of my day, but I did find something on YouTube, which I showed both of you, which is like a, a video scrapbook of that day. Yeah. And it was on it was from pretty much every channel, like just showing what happened over and over again and I you know you wonder how that didn't traumatise more people because it is just endless yeah I have an interesting side story about that actually um, that you know the um, the channel the Food Network which is bigger in oh, America yeah, yeah. but it's, it's I think it is on UK TV as well so yeah. basically they were a very minor unknown channel at the time and they were one mm -hmm. of the only channels that decided not to cut to coverage that they decided people need counter programming they need some something light and yeah. inoffensive so let's just carry on as normal which people really responded to and so the Food Network took off and that's kind of the success story behind the Food Network is that it kept wow. going during 9-11 yeah well, that's the thing like it did change the schedules but i think like eventually i know itv showed emmerdale that day and you know uh the bbc had blue planet the next day so they were clearly like okay we we will cover this but we also have our own priorities luckily they did cancel the scheduled film for that night which was called fire in the sky good lord yeah. oh my yeah. gosh yeah. Some quite unfortunate timing but but yeah it's like 
I think it must be worse for America because, as from what I can tell, it was just wall to wall, all day, all night, everything's cancelled, shut everything down. Whereas in the UK, while it did kind of give birth to um, the rise of like rolling news coverage, which wasn't really a thing in the UK then, hmm. um, I think, yeah, it's, a, it's surprising how it's like... It was it was covered strongly, but also it it did fade away after a while. Compare that to the coverage of the Queen from earlier in twenty twenty two. Yeah, I mean, I think it really did feel of, endless. Not to compare the two because they're completely you know entirely no, different events, but I think in terms of the media response, the Queen's death was very much the UK media's own you know modern day nine eleven really in terms of how they approached it in terms of that national shutdown. That we had, yeah, I think that yeah. was that was more extreme for us than nine eleven was for us in the UK, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, that gave me a window into what that much have been must have been like in America back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably, this is the only chance I'm probably going to get to uh, mention it. She's not a favorite YouTuber of mine. In fact, she's not really a YouTuber anymore because she left the channel over various things. But um, Lindsay Ellis. She mm. did a good, uh, good YouTube video about um, how nine eleven impacted disaster movies by comparing Independence Day and uh, Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Um, wow! Just, it's, yeah. it's, it's just a really, really, it's a really, really good video. She's not my favorite YouTuber for a lot of reasons, but I think that's a particularly good video that I'll I'll leave mm. a link to that in the description for people if they want to go and watch it. And I think I, I did also have a kind of theory about this, just going back to what we cover on this podcast. Do you think it had a knock-on effect on the UK charts in that we get far fewer American number ones in the next year or so? Yes, Probably. I think I think if you look at the list of names, um, not so much the ones we're covering this week because it kind of no, has no. a delayed effect, doesn't it? But if you look at yeah, the sort course. of weeks to come, the months to come, there's a lot mm. of very random names in there that just you wouldn't expect to be able to have that kind of success. And I think things did go off the boil. I seem to remember that happening at the time in 2001. I, I remember that a lot of... There was a lot of unnecessary censorship happening. There was a lot of... Mm. Unease about whether anything that's not light and airy should be on the TV. So I think that had an impact on music, um, and and yeah, it's 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 a weird one to think about. But I do think you can see it in terms of the list of songs that we're going to be talking about. You can see a change, a very subtle change. Definitely. Yeah. So meanwhile, in the UK, uh, Ian Duncan Smith is named as the new leader of the Conservative Party, winning sixty-one percent of the ballot vote over competitor Ken Clark. The previous leader, William Hague, stepped down in July after the party's big landslide defeat at the 2001 general election. The uh, the notable thing about Ian... Well, one of the many notable things about Ian Duncan Smith, of course, is that he never actually got through to an election. He's the only Tory leader of the last um, 50 years, maybe more, that's not forced general election. So he has that dubious honour. Yeah. 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 Strange to remember a time when it seemed like the Tories really were done. Yeah. I've just realised I'm so wrong about that. Liz Truss. <laughs> Liz Truss didn't fight oh, an election yeah, yeah, either. Yeah. <laughs> Shows how brief that was. I'm already forgetting about her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, in football, David Beckham's goal against Greece sends England to the 2002 World Cup. The game against Greece, hosted at Manchester United's Old Trafford, finished 2 all with Beckham's goal enough to see England qualify for the tournament in Japan and South Korea. I have... Very, very vivid memories of that goal in association with a song that's coming up uh, this week. 
I, for many, many reasons... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for many, many reasons, I have um, been waiting for this episode for quite a while because I feel like this is the episode where the 2000s actually begin in many ways. I oh, think yeah, yeah. Beckham's buzz yeah. cut, 9-11, mm. and a song that happens later this week is sport, politics, and popular culture all being pushed into the 21st century, probably against their will, more willingly in other ways, but still, I've been looking forward to yeah. it for quite a while. I get interested by those moments where it feels like one decade tips over to another, because it doesn't just yeah. happen at midnight on the 1st of January 2000. There's always like, I don't know, you could say The Beatles on Ed Sullivan or JFK for the 60s. Um, yeah. Like you yeah. just mentioned for the 2000s, yeah. um, 2020s, obviously, COVID, you know. But. Yeah, well, thinking, yeah, I think twenty the 2020s are basically the only year where the decade started in the actual year that they started. Yeah, I, I always, kicking and screaming into this yeah, new decade. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, because COVID started in, like, December 2019, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and first case in the UK was March or February 2020. But, yeah, Lizzie, yeah. I kind of agree with you that, like, the 60s start in 1963, with the Beatles on Ed mm. Sullivan and Kennedy getting shot. You know, the 70s yep. start in 1969 with the moon landing. You know, the it's... Or T-Rex on top of the pops. You know. uh, yeah, or something like that, maybe. Um, or Starman, yeah. The 80s start in 1979 with Thatcher getting elected. Um, yeah. The 90s start in 89 with the Berlin Wall coming down. And for me, the 2000s start here. Um, in mm. mi- More than midway through 2001. Well, to be fair, the Berlin Wall was like the the last few days of December 1989, so that was pretty bob on for the start of the 90s. So, mm. yeah. Although there's some people who would argue like Nirvana was the start of the 90s because yeah, like 1990 yeah. is a real weird time for music. It's like a very in between period. Mm. Mm. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows. Moulin Rouge for two weeks, Artificial Intelligence AI for two weeks, Moulin Rouge for a third week, and American Pie 2 for three weeks. In the United States, medical sitcom Scrubs is its very first episode, while after a prolonged absence, general programming eventually returns to its normal schedules following the changes made in response to the September 11th attacks. Back in the UK, EastEnders broadcasts the famous episodes that ends with Zoe and Kat Slater's You Ain't My Mother? Yes, I Am! Confrontation. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that episode, but I remember kids screaming at each other across the playground. (laughs) I do remember it. That's like probably one of my earliest EastEnders memories. The Independent Television Commission orders Channel 4 to apologise over a special edition of Brass Eye. The controversial Pedogeddon special, which featured celebrities such as Gary Lineker and Phil Collins giving their backing to Nonsense, a spoof anti-pedophilia campaign, attracted many complaints from viewers. The ICC ruled that Channel 4 breached guidelines by failing to give sufficient warning about the programme's nature. What an episode of television that is. Oh, oh yeah, it's, inc- that's it's incredible. And I honestly think yeah. the only reason there was such media outrage was because the media and celebrities had been made such fools of. I think largely the public were well on board with this. Like, I've never met anyone who doesn't think that that episode is really funny. And I think mm-hmm. just people didn't like how, how much they'd been made fools of. Yeah, yeah. I do remember a lot of politicians at the time were like, I'm outraged by this show. It's like, have you seen it? 
no, but I've heard about it. It's like you have to grit your teeth. Like, come on. I think I think everyone has their favourite quote from this episode, but mine has to be Kate Thornton, who's given a line that she somehow doesn't question, where she says, um, "This game will leave your child with the jaded sexual appetite of a sixty-year-old colonel." <laughs> I think mine is the one where Dr. Fox uh, is given the stat that paedophiles have brains that are more similar to crabs. Now, there's no scientific evidence for this, but it is a fact. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Also notable for that that two-page spread in, I think it was the Daily Star, where there was like a little corner article about this sick filth should be banned. And then on the page next to it is a picture of Charlotte Church, who's 16 years old saying something like, she's a big girl now. Oh, yes. God. It's fucking hell. Yep. It's like, yeah, shot chaser. Damn me. Andy, how are the album charts looking at this point in 2001? Well, it's quite packed because the singles chart, I mean, the period we are looking at, because um, one of the songs we're covering this week stays at number one for a while, so the singles chart is quite expansive whereas nothing really hangs around on the album's charts we've got quite a few to cover this week um first of all after the randomness of stained at the end of last week we now have the sort of equal randomness somewhat of iowa by slipknot getting to number one. Oh my god oh, i i yeah. never knew that slipknot managed a number one i mean i know they were big nice. but i didn't know they were that big um yeah good for them that's followed by a funk odyssey by jamiroquai um, which mm. manages two weeks at number one okay. in September. And that's the one at number one while 9-11 is happening, funnily enough, uh, that Jamiroquai manages two weeks at number one throughout that period. Um, right, okay. Then, then we get a very interesting one, which is Macy Gray with The Id. Um, oh. And the reason that's very interesting is because this is the first number one album in the UK of the whole millennium so far that didn't get platinum status. Um, it only got registered ah. gold. And I've I've looked through the charts, and as the years go by, the number of albums that only get gold steadily increases, which I think is a clear indicator of how much easier in terms of sales it is to get number one yeah. uh, for an album because sales in general decline um, consistently throughout the next few decades. So that's like the first pin there of of something that's definitely a growing trend and that it's getting slightly easier to get number one no offense to macy gray um but yeah Hmm. we've then got a re-entry from dido with no angel um taking another week at number one unsurprisingly considering how big that album was yeah and then miss kylie minogue with fever for two weeks at number one uh an artist who we surely will discuss at some point there um, yeah. And to see us out, we have two weeks at number one for Gold Greatest Hits by Steps, which is one of those Greatest Hits albums that manages to be chart eligible because it puts one random new song on there, which is a trend I absolutely yeah. hate. I hate it when they do that. Uh, but I did own a um, pirate copy of that album and I was absolutely overjoyed with it. I got it for <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the world is falling apart in America, but people are still buying music. So, Lizzie, how are the US charts looking at this point? Well, now I'm just wondering, like, what if every household that owned a copy of ABBA Gold instead owned a copy of Steps Gold? <laughs> <laughs> be a much gayer country, I feel. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, in the US charts, it's an understandably quiet period for the singles chart, at least. Um, There's only two number ones to mention, which traded the number one spot four times between mid-August and the first week of November. So one of those, Falling by Alicia Keys, which I mentioned last week, was number one for three weeks until the second week of September, before being replaced by I'm Real, parentheses, Murder Remix, by Jennifer Lopez and Ja Rule which finished at number 5 on the year-end list, number 30 on the decade-end list, and number 176 on the all-time list. Wow. But only got to number number 4 in the UK chart in November 2001. Huh. Hmm. So that's that stayed at number 1 for three weeks. Then Falling by Alicia Keys would reclaim the top spot for another three weeks. Then back to I'm Real for another two weeks to finish off October. So, yeah, a bit of a fallow period for the singles charts. I mean, in terms of albums... Now, that's what I call Music 7 was overtaken by Maxwell's confusingly titled Now for one week at the beginning of Uh, September. What? That's so random. Wow. Which eventually went platinum in the US, but did bugger all over here, only getting to number 46. And um, I'd like to apologise to our listeners because I actually made a mistake in the last episode. And I said that Celebrity by NSYNC knocked Alicia Keys off the top spot. It was actually Aaliyah's self-titled album that hit the top spot on August 4th for one week. Oh. And after her death, just three weeks after the album release, it returned to the number one spot in mid-September for five weeks. And it eventually went double platinum, finishing at number 51 on the year-end list, but it only reached number five in the UK in February 2002. Mm -hmm. And then to finish us off for this period, Ja Rule's album Pain Is Love went triple platinum and finished at number 20 on the 2002 year-end list, but it only got to number three in the UK, also in February 2002. Uh, Ja Rule. That's very much uh, older cousin music in my life. (laughs) I had my older cousins into Ja Rule. You're a long way off from Firefest, my boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. (laughs) All right, then. Let's get into the singles for this week. And the first one is this. is Too Close by Blue. 
released as the second single from the group's debut album, All Rise. Too Close is Blue's second single overall to be released in the UK, and their first to reach number one. The song is a cover of the single originally released by American R&B group Next, which only reached number 24 in the UK in 1998, but did reach the top of the US charts. This is not the last time that we'll be discussing Blue on this podcast. Too Close went straight in at number one as a new entry, knocking five off the top of the charts, and it stayed at number one for one week. It sold 84,000 copies in its only week at number one, beating competition from Follow Me by Uncle Cracker, which got to number three. That's a classic. Jesus Christ. Stuck in the Middle by Louise, which got to number four, and Take My Breath Away by Emma Bunton, which got to number five, which I looked up and it's not a cover. It's not a cover. No. No, Um, I mean, I know that song very well. I taped that off the TV on one of my box music video tapes that I used to tape. I used to like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Too Close was knocked off the top of the charts, it fell two places to number three, and by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 16 weeks. Andy, how are we on Too Close by Blue? Well, first of all, I'm rather surprised that All Rise didn't make it to number one, and this one Yeah, me did. too. Because um, All Rise mm. is, I think, probably the biggest hit in retrospect. Um, I think most people... Uh, would you agree? I, I don't think anything else is as big as yeah, All Rise, really. Maybe this, or if you come back... Possibly. Maybe. No. Yeah. Sorry seems to be the hardest word, but that's not their song. <laughs> yeah, that's no. true. Um, but let me pitch you something, right? So, Blue, this is the first time that we've discussed Blue. To me, they sort of feel like the male atomic kitten at this time. Um, not in every yeah. sense, but in the sense that there is a kind of palpable uncertainty and nervousness about them, <laughs> I find, that they seem to be very aware of the concept of 15 minutes of fame, you know, that they, they know that their hold on the top of the charts is going to be very hard to maintain in a very crowded market. And they've just sort of seem palpably like, Whoa, we're big. Um, how do we hang on to it? And I think the first sign of that is why do they have to name check all rise at the very start? It's like, yeah, we're the like band this. that did all rise. <laughs> just it, it's us. This is the sequel. Yeah. It's just like the most, the most like unashamed plug that you could possibly do. It's awful. Like I've heard of plenty of artists, obviously name checking the artists, like Jason Rulo, but I've never heard of uh, an artist name checking their previous song at the start of the next song. <laughs> That's a bit pathetic, really. Um, All again. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, Atomic Kitten, I think, are much better than Blue because I think they're better singers, and I think that's what Blue lacks. There's the other kind of sense of uncertainty that I get from this is there's some bits of, a sort of a bit out of tune, really, which is kind yeah. of unforgivable. I think, to be honest, considering it's got fairly decent production. Otherwise, I say fairly decent. It's okay. It doesn't feel like it was thrown together as quickly as something like Eternal Flame was, but. Every single iteration of a trap but I can fight it just sounds a little bit out of tune. Every single iteration of it, it sounds like someone's a bit out. I don't know who it is. I can't, it sounds like it might be Simon Webb, but I don't know their voices all that well. Um, mm. There's just this sense that they don't really hang together as a group yet, that they're all just a bit sort of rabbit in the headlights. Um, but much like Atomic Kitten, that is slightly endearing, and there's something a bit kind of... No, aren't they fun about Blue? That you know, they're never going to be the next Westlife. They're never going to be the next, oh, I don't know, Boyzone even really. Um, but you know, they're fun for what they are. 
And this is a fairly decent song. Um, I didn't know it was a cover at all until um, until one of you, I can't remember who it was, one of you told me that the other day. I didn't know it was a cover. Um, and it does kind of suit blues style. I think this sort of mid-tempo R&B thing, they're far better at than they are at ballads, which we'll come to uh, at a later date. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that we don't really get many of Lee Ryan's horrendous like long notes that he seems to think are what everybody wants that we get mm-hmm. at the end of most Blue songs. So it's relatively light on that. As you can tell, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Blue, to be honest. Uh, but this is okay. I think, I think it definitely needs a bit more oomph to it. And it definitely needs something more resembling a USP rather than just, oh, we're the current boy band. Uh, we did all rise. Here's another one. Uh, see you for if you come back. Please come back. Um, yeah, I think mm. it needs a bit more oomph to it. But this is okay. Um, all rise is better. Let's just say that. All rise is better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for such an uncertain band, they've done all right for themselves, given that they're currently performing in Qatar as part of the World Cup. Get lost, really? They, uh, yeah, yeah, they played at the uh, they played at the Manchester Arena the other night as well. There's a few people on my Instagram that uh, went and saw them. So fair play oh, to wow. them, I guess. You know. <laughs> yeah, because because I've always had that same vibe that there's a, a slight shitness about them. But, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've never like hated them like in the same way that I find Westlife pretty unlistenable at this t- t- period. But yeah, I think we might have the first song here, which has been ruined by a vine. Which fan was this? Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. So there was a vine in I wanna say twenty fifteen. Around that time. By by a guy called Nicholas Fraser, um, who who turned it into Why the Fuck You Lying? Why Which you is always lying. lying? Oh my god. Oh my god. Stop <laughs> <laughs> fucking lying. <laughs> oh yeah, I do remember that now. God, that was a yeah, good he, Wow. When he's dancing outside in front of the toilet. <laughs> you know, because of the toilet outside. <laughs> and he turned it into a full song and everything. And that's where I first heard this song. Like, I don't remember this at all. And I, I also don't mm. remember something I learned this week that um, Lee Ryan and Anthony Costa actually met on ITV's This Morning in May 1999. <laughs> what? When auditioning for a boy band to be put together by one Simon Cowell. And ah. Anthony Costa narrowly missed out on a spot, but Lee Ryan was successful, as was a pre-pop idol, Will Young. Mm. Wow, the gr- that's a hell that, of a fact. Wow, I know, I know, and like the group never took off, but like Costa would later form a group with his friend Duncan James, and Lee Ryan would join them not long after with auditions for a final member, resulting in Lee Ryan's flatmate Simon Webb joining <laughs> the group. Wow. See, the general reputation is that Lee Ryan is the the bad egg of the group. Like, I don't mean to slander the guy, but that's just kind of how it's perceived oh, in the media, really. Oh, Andy, um, I, I've got I know, a story. I've got I can, a I can story. Well, I mean, I know what this is. Yeah. The story that always, like, annoyed me was when Duncan James came out, Lee Ryan hijacked it by saying, oh, yeah, we used to sleep together all the time. And Duncan James was like, oh, no, we didn't. Get oh, off my coming oh, out. No, we didn't. Uh, yeah, which is just shameful, that. really. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Jesus. Yeah, horrible. Yeah. Yeah, but Lizzie, I'll, yes, um, carry on. I'll yeah. let you get back. I'll let you get to your story in a minute, Rob, because yeah. it's a Bobby Dazzler. But 
Um, yeah, but this song, there's a common theme in this episode, except for one song coming up later on. All of these tracks seem a bit out of date. Like, yeah. this is a cover of a Billboard number one from 1998, and we've got two more covers to get through until we get to the one that genuinely points the way forward for pop music and doesn't sound like something which could have been recorded in 1998. And like you, Andy, I'm really surprised that this got to number one and All Rise didn't. I wonder if it's like a, a delayed reaction in terms of like promotion. Like, maybe they... They threw All Rise out there, but people weren't really aware of them just yet. And so by the time you get to this, it's like, yep, yeah, they're an established act and this is the big hit. But I don't know, I, I almost feel like they've released this in the wrong order. Like, because this is okay, but it's it's not great. And Andy totally agreed that some of it sounds a bit out of tune. But... Granted, their album wasn't released until November of 2001, so at least their management was smarter than hearsays in that regard. You you promote the songs before you release the album, not afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, with regards to this, not great. I prefer the vine. (laughs) (laughs) At least the vine is shorter. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I loved Blue when I was seven. I had All Rise on CD. Um... I used to make my parents play it in the car. I have a very specific memory of us leaving um, a Haven site after the 2002 World Cup, so about six, seven months after the album came out. And we were driving out, and I asked my mum and dad... We had it on cassette, and I asked my mum and dad to put it on in the car. And uh, that's a memory I have. I don't know, I can't really remember the beginning or the end of that car journey, but I remember that specific part of it. <laughs> Um, with regards to Too Close, <laughs> uh, I just want to preface this by saying I'm not a massive fan of the original, but I do enjoy it. I like the vocal performances on the original. It's very smooth yeah, atmosphere. It's, it's, it's decent. Yeah, I think the performances of Next are more convincing than the performances of Blue. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Especially on the slightly pitchy... It just... Yeah, there's a couple of those, like, um, the You're Making It Hard For Me and a couple of others where it's like... They never seem to nail it, no matter how many times they repeat it, you know? It feels like they're shouting it, and I'm not sure that's the mood that they're supposed to be going for. Um, Compared to the original, I I sort of understand what they've done by speeding it up. Uh, You know, it means it gets to the point a little bit faster. Um, I don't know what the maths and science is behind this, but, like, it seems like there's this acceptance that a faster cover version just means that it's more updated and modern, than the original. It's like, oh, we, we've made it faster, so that means that it's more current, surely. Well, it worked uh, for Jerry with It's Rain and Men, didn't it? So, yes, yeah. and there's a couple more this week where they've just sped the song up and have been like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it, oh, totally. yeah, yeah. yeah, they, yeah they, they, we're in the 21st century, so that just means that we must go faster and louder. That's what <laughs> we're it We're in means. the fast era. Yeah, exactly. So, however... Um, the speeding the song up removes the funk and the groove from it. Um, I think it also exposes Blue. This is where Blue get exposed as weaker vocalists. Like, this version of the song removes any room for them to flex. Um, so they get kind of sort of like squeezed into a box and like they can't really perform in that mm. box as well as uh, Next did. Another thing is that Next's original version... It's not exactly a slow jam, but that's where the history is. 
you know, something soft to play in between the harder records in the nightclubs in the 90s to get the ladies on the dance floor, get everybody's hips a little bit closer, you know, increase a bit of friction, bit of gyration on the dance floor, that sort of thing. Whereas blues tries to recreate that effect, but it feels kind of stiff and sort of quaint <laughs> and dare I say it, British compared to... Because <laughs> there, there, there is something... I, I don't know what it is, but like, there's something about blue that makes me think if you think about the tonal shift between something like all rise and then to too close and then to if you come back and it feels a little bit like they're trying to ape the american groups of a really similar style that next arrived to the to the 90s within the context of that kind of R&B slash pop soul slash new jack swing stuff like boys to men new edition uh yeah. jodeci tony 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 um to a lesser extent acts like bone thugs and harmony solo acts like usher and at the time uh, robert sylvester kelly as i'll refer to him as his full mm. name um, Blue have very obviously been put together to respond to those kinds of groups. And yeah. it feels like that's where the the uncertainty that you two were talking about, I feel like that's where it comes in. Because they've All Rise is quite, you know, it uses like a hip-hop beat and there's a bit of rapping and there's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a rhythmic chorus, like one foot the money get the free ride. It, it, it feels a bit more, not gangsterish, but you know what I mean? They're trying to put, off, put across like some kind of braggadocio, bravado, whereas this is more like, but they do have a sexy side. And then if you come back is like, but they do have a soft side, you know? Um, it yeah, feels a they... little bit as well like um, the, the bass line, it, it reminds me a little bit of another one bites the dust. It it does the same. I forget what the word is for it. Where like you can recognize a melody entirely by rhythm. Like if I was to go dun 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 dun, you would know that was the Harry Potter theme. And it's the same with this, where where the bassline goes dun 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 dun, and it's like okay, so we're kind of doing hip hop sampling here, aren't we? A little bit, and so. I don't know, it feels a bit mixed up between the two things. I think it's pleasant. It's not offensive. Um, but I guess it kind of has a special place in my heart, but not really. Blue were one of those groups that I loved as a kid that I just kind of moved on from. You know, like the Spice Girls and things like that. You come back to the Spice Girls and maybe Steps for me to an extent, but Bewitched and Blue, they're just phases, you know? Um, yeah, I agree yeah. on that. Yeah. yeah. They feel like they're being pitched as like a more grown up A one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that sounds a, all right. Yeah, that's yeah. a good insight. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like an an evolution of that. Yeah, I wouldn't mm. uh, wouldn't disagree there. But crucially, while this song was number one, they were over in the states trying to get a record deal. But they fucked it up. When they were over there. Oh, no. Because I have been waiting for this. I think I mentioned this while we were in the year 2000. Um, I do remember you hyping the story. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so this is from an article that I found from around the time from NME. Uh, This is from the 26th of October, 2001. So it's a little bit... um, It's a little bit after the actual event itself. This is responding 
to something, so I'm just going to read it. Lee Ryan from Boy Band Blue has made a snivelling apology for remarks he made in the Sun newspaper this morning, 26th of October, claiming that the terrorist strikes against New York have been blown all out of proportion. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, in, oh, my, oh God. my God, it gets better, Andy. Um, in the newspaper article, Ryan also asked, who gives a fuck about New York when elephants are being killed? To the oh consternation of his three bandmates, <laughs> Ryan went on to say, they are ignoring animals that are more important. Animals need saving, and that's more important. This New York thing is being blown out of all proportion. Um, wow. In a oh statement issued this afternoon to the band's website, Ryan said he cried his eyes out as he watched the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center collapse. The band were in New York on September the 11th, and that I'm no good with words and I get mixed up. He has promised to donate royalties from Blue's next single to the Twin Towers Fund for victims of the attack. Um, Lee Ryan, at this, at this time, I feel a little bit bad for him because he was 17 when he met, when he gave that interview um, and we're all young and we all make mistakes but it's very very funny to read that entry on the band's wikipedia page because there's this line in on blues wikipedia page that says the other members of the group tried to <laughs> silence him but ryan continued on <laughs> He's just—he's like, decided he to get on his soapbox about this. Like this is the thing that he's—he's he's seen his fifteen minutes are just around the corner, and he's like, right, I'm going to make a point, and it's this saying that one of the most important that even felt that way that even felt that way at the time. This isn't even hindsight. That one of the most important geopolitical events in modern history was being blown out of all proportion. <laughs> oh God, God me. bless him. Holy. He sort of apologised no, for him. it years no, later. No, not bless but, him. Yeah. I have to push back on that. The stories about him are very consistent. You know, there's a lot of stories about him. So I'm not going to say, oh, bless him, he was young. There's a, there's, a, there's a pattern here. There's a personality type here. Um, and I do think that needs to be gently called out. He's, he's quite a lot of stories about him over the years. Um, again, maybe slightly slanderous. I don't know if they're all true. But... Um, if, if I could have told you which one of Blue said that, I would undoubtedly have said it's Lee Ryan. Yeah. Well, I mentioned their debut album, All Rise, before. It was released in November in the UK. Do you want to guess when it was released in the US? Uh, never. The 27th of April, 2004. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were almost wow. done by that point. Well, <laughs> as the formerly named Dixie Chicks, now named The Chicks, will tell you, Americans do not forget. Yeah. About no, things they related not. to 9-11 and the war on terror. <laughs> so the North Americans remember. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> uh alright then. Moving on. Our next up and uh, our song that's next up is this. Are you ready, Bob? Yes. What about you, lovely? Okay, team, let's go. One, two, three, four, five. Everybody's outside, so come on, let's ride to the builders out around the corner. The gang's all here, and it's time for us to do what we wanna. There's a house with a roof that leaks. It's an urgent job, and it could take us weeks. There's Dizzy, Lofty, and Rolly too. Wendy always knows just what to do. And there's no job too big or small with scoop and mud. We can do it all. Metal, brick, or wood. It's all Send in the tractor A little bit of timber and a saw A little bit of fixing and 
Okay, this is Mambo Number no. 5 by Bob the Builder. Released as the second single from his debut album, Bob the Builder, the album, <laughs> Mambo Number no. 5 is Bob the Builder's second single to be released in the UK overall and is second to reach number one after Can We Fix It was the Christmas number one for the year 2000. We all remember that. This song is a cover of Lou Vega's version of Mambo No. 5, which reached number 1 in 1999 and was itself a reinterpretation of Damaso Perez Prado's instrumental jazz Mambo from 1949. Mambo No. 5 went straight in at number 1 as a new entry knocking Blue off the top of the charts. It stayed at number 1 for one week. It sold 102,000 copies in its first and only week at number 1, beating competition oh, from... Ugh, Starlight by Superman Lovers, which got to number two. God damn it. For God's sake. And 24-7 by The Artful Dodger, which got to number six. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Mambo number five dropped one place to number two. And by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 22 long weeks. 22. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Lizzie. Mambo number five, as done by Bob the Builder. Yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I was really ready to hate this because I definitely do, didn't need like yet another glimpse into Bob the Builder's dead shark-like eyes. <laughs> and there's at least some some relatively okay construction-related lyrics. Sometimes you don't read into them too much, but again. This would have been out of date in late 1999, let alone 2001. And like, you yeah. wonder if Lou Bega regrets not turning this song into a dance craze like the Macarena to really milk that cow dry. And that's what this tries to do, but doesn't fully commit to. And the steps are a bit too disjointed, even for an adult. So, like, I'm happy to see the back of this, but alas... It's not the last time we encounter Bob on a number one single. Oh, God, it's not, is it? Oh, my God. It's no, not, it's no. not, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, oh. I'll give you a hint. Yeah, I don't need to give you a hint. You know what I'm talking about. Is it the BBC Children's Christmas medley yeah. from, like, 2012? Yeah. It sure is. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Peter Kay. I also just want to pull up one lyric, uh, because um, there's a bit in the song where he, he kind of breaks it down, and he says... Mambo number six and seven eighths. And like, yeah, I could do the obvious joke where I say, do I need to listen to Mambo's one through four before listening to five? Or can I just pick it up from from there? But <laughs> there is um so a couple of years ago, there was a Twitter thread by Adrian Gray and Archie Henderson about the best selling single of every decade from the 2010s to 14,000 BC. And uh, as you know, it's a very factual, very serious <laughs> affair. And uh, one of those singles was Mambo Number no. 5. But um, also mentioned in that video were Mambo's 1 through 4. And I also have, <laughs> um, I have a little comment here from someone called Ben Buckley Productions, who says, quote, About 10,000 years passed between the first and second Mambos, but only a few thousand years passed between the second and third Mambos. (laughs) (laughs) Then only 510 years until the fourth Mambo. Then, fucking hell, only 100... (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, come on, pull yourself together. (laughs) 
Only 170 years until the fifth Mambo. On average, each Mambo comes out after about a third the weight of the previous Mambo. <laughs> if, if we extrapolate, this is really scientific stuff here, pay attention, it's really serious. We can estimate the following timeline. So, <laughs> would you have... <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> would you have Mambo number six in 2056? <laughs> <laughs> right, followed by Mambo number seven in 2075. <laughs> followed by Mambo number eight in 2082. Mambo number nine in 2084. And Mambo number twen. Twen? <laughs> Mambo number ten in 2085. From that point, the Mambos keep accelerating. Sometime between 2085 and 2086, will reach an, an, an asymptote known as the Mambolarity, during which the Mambos will proliferate towards infinity. So if you're alive that long, that's what you have to look forward to, I guess. Oh, Sorry, I couldn't get to that, that in one go. That was, that was wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of my favourite YouTube comments ever. I thought it deserved its due on this podcast. Oh, just amazing. Thank you. Definitely for that. got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for me... Um, it's a Bob the Builder themed cover of Mambo number no. five. What else is there to say? Like, I'll be honest, like every time I've kind of, well, to be honest, I haven't actually listened to the Bob the Builder version that much. I've listened to it a couple of times, but the version I've been listening to the most is a cover of this by a children's music band called Hokey Cokey. Same. Who, oh, that's on the Spotify. Version on Spotify. Yeah, because yeah, this, this is not on Spotify. Spotify yeah. Not sure why, uh, but every time I've listened mm. to it, I feel like my brain's lost a few creases. Um, and like, <laughs> however, in lieu of a review of the song, um, I've decided to write a review of the job that Bob and the gang do in the song. So, all right, here is dear fellow checker trade users, beware of Bob the Builder. A few weeks ago, <laughs> I noticed water dripping in from the roof above my bedroom. It wasn't a serious leak, but I knew that if I let it, uh, if I left it, the problem would only get worse. So I rang the nearest builder I could find who was able to work at short notice. That builder turned out to be Bob and his so-called gang. As part of his <laughs> online, uh, as part of his online advert, he'd listed got the Christmas number one single in the year 2000 under his list of achievements. If only I'd known then what was about to come. The next day, Bob and his so-called gang turned up in my driveway. When I walked out to greet them, I noticed he'd brought many, many heavy-duty vehicles and machinery along with him. I thought, that's a bit excessive. Why does he need a cement mixer and a steamroller to fix a leak in the roof? I told him there was a loft, ac I told him there was loft access from the inside over the phone. Like, nevertheless, I trusted him. He's a professional. He surely must know what he's doing. When I went to greet them, I was stunned and actually a bit frightened to discover that not only had he brought more of these massive machines than I'd initially realised, but that he was referring to them all by names. Uh, Scoop, Muck, Dizzy, Rolly, Lofty. Tried not to judge. He clearly has his methods for getting the job done, as he kept saying, and he was very polite throughout the entire ordeal. 
Um, but that was when things really started to turn sour. As, as they set off working, I realised that there might have been a bit of miscommunication regarding the task at hand. Bob insisted on using a little bit of timber and a saw, and then he partially dug up the road outside my house. I protested, <laughs> asked him what on earth he was doing, but all he did say was that Wendy was coming soon and that she'd know what to do. Um, when he finally went up to the roof, I thought, oh, at last, he'll have that leak sorted. But he proceeded to do a little bit of tiling and shouted down to me that it was uh, he was making it a little bit waterproof. Uh, by this point, I realised that the mission to get my roof fixed was out of control. Uh, I was already arranging to have another builder come round that afternoon. Uh, I was happy enough to let Bob and his gang continue their work, even if it had nothing to do with what I'd been asked them, but they never seemed to ask for any money. So I was fine to kind of let them carry on. Uh, I wonder how his business keeps going, though. Um, but then when I heard him say something about sending in the tractor, um, I knew that it was time to get him off my property. Uh, they left with minimal fuss, and the second builder arrived soon after. Uh, to my relief, the second builder just fixed the leak in my roof and went about their day. Um, I thought this was the end of the matter until I was in a local <laughs> Starbucks this morning. And I heard the familiar rhythms and melodies of Lou Bega's Mambo Number no. 5, but I soon realised that it, it wasn't Lou Bega singing. It was Bob, the builder who'd come to fix my roof and done nothing of the sort, really. And it slowly dawned on me that the lyrics to the song were recounting the incident involving Bob and my leaky roof, but in a manner that painted <laughs> Bob in a much better light than his so-called handiwork ever had. I don't know what's wrong with him. I never met the Wendy woman that he mentioned, but I don't know how she puts up with him or any of the gang. Uh, for that matter, maybe she's the real brains behind the business, but regardless, the mystery remains unsolved. So please, save yourself the time and don't put the future condition of your house in Bob the Builder's hands. <laughs> One star out of five, would not recommend. Oh, brilliant. So, wow. <laughs> that was my creative writing exercise for the day. That was wonderful, Rob. Well done. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. And you've said everything that I could possibly say. Well, um, Andy, that's a shame because I'm coming to you, so yes. surely you must have something. Well, the two of you have just knocked it out of the park with like two of the funniest <laughs> segments we've ever had, so thank you for that. You've really killed me in the running order there. Um, but yes, <laughs> what else is there to say, really, except the like you, Rob, I think the details of this song, which digs a little bit more, no pun intended, digs a little bit more deeply into the actual nature of Bob's work, um, really gives you some pause for thought about his competence and the fact that actually he's not a great builder, is he really? You know, that, that I, maybe I'm mildly triggered by this song because a few months ago, funnily enough, we noticed a leak in our roof, a real, a real one. And um, a builder came and supposedly fixed it and did sod all. It didn't work. Um, and we need to get someone else to fix it. So really, that man in my mind is Bob the Builder. And uh, if someone had turned up and said, well, that looks like an urgent leak. Oh, that's pretty urgent work. It's going to take us a couple of weeks. couple of weeks? A couple of weeks to fix the leak in my roof. Really? And that's if I order them today. Which I won't. <laughs> yeah, maybe if he spent less time releasing mambos and more time getting on the roof and doing some work, he might get it done faster. Jesus, good damn it, Bob, fix my roof. Anyway, um, yes. I, 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 what else is there to say, really? Other than that, he's more of a showman than he is a builder. Um, for all his talk about getting the job done, he seems to do everything except getting the job done. 
really. And I think if I had hired him as a builder, you know, I understand the concept of the show now, because if I had hired Bob as a builder and sort of spending ages talking to sentient machines, um, <laughs> releasing number one singles, all the while the leak in my roof getting significantly worse, I'd probably just sit there, have a moment of quiet, and the question would occur in my head, can he fix it? <laughs> and that's I, all I, I have to say <laughs> I, I was so struck by the fact that they open up the concept of the song which is that they've got a roof to go and fix because it's leaking and then they're talking about doing a little bit of timber and a saw a little bit of doing this a little bit of doing that and I'm like a little bit fucking jobs worth so yeah. like yeah I'm, uh, I'm making, making waterproof Making waterproof? What does that even mean? That's not a phrase. Making waterproof. I imagine it's the material that makes things waterproof, but... Yeah, um, but you don't physically make it. You're not a chemist. You just buy it from a wholesaler and put it on. That's why it's taken weeks, because he's making things out of the raw elements. Maybe that's how they get you back out again, to give you, like, twice the pay, because you've done half a job the first time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you'd think that all these sentient machines would make the job of any building work like unbelievably faster you know a a leak on the roof you've got eight basically transformers with you you know that's like a five minute job you know you could do ten at once you know why not why not send them on the way why does every member of the gang have to accompany them like Fagan's kids you know to every single job why can't they all just spread out a bit and set up a bit more of an operation but you know this is why Bob's only a singular builder and isn't like the leader of a building enterprise. That's why Bob's never going to own B and Q, and that's the real lesson here. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of like a curse, isn't it? It's like yes, you can have sentient machines, but they're all kind of incompetent in their own way, <laughs> yeah. and inevitably you will just have to call out your. I take it it's his long-suffering wife to to figure out the problem. No, we've established that Wendy is not his wife. But I, I, I do think there's an His origin story there. Sister, I, mean, yeah. I think there is a potential origin story, like a Twilight Zone episode of like this really frustrated builder whose machines never work, and he needs to communicate with it and tell it what it needs to do. And he thinks, <laughs> if only my machines could talk. And it turns into oh, this be God. careful what you wish for story where they do nothing but talk and they natter away and don't get the job done. <laughs> Oh dear! In order to save our blood pressure, we're going to move swiftly on. Although anyway, Mambo Number that. Five was all right. I didn't talk about the song at all. Mambo Number Five was okay. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next up is this.
Okay, this is Hey Baby, Uh Ah by DJ Otzi. <laughs> <laughs> Released as the lead single from DJ Otzi's second album, Peace, Love and Volgas, Hey Baby, Ugh, Ah, is DJ Otzi's debut single to be released in the UK and is first to reach number one. The song is a cover of Bruce uh, Chanel or Channel's single from 1961. And I've been waiting for this moment because every time I've done one of these segments, this second section has started in exactly the same way every single time until now. Hey Baby, oh no. uh, ah, first entered the UK charts in August 2001 at number 94. It didn't wow. go to number one as a new entry. It was, it was in the charts first when Atomic Kitten's Eternal Flame was still number one. So, Hey Baby, uh, ah, slowly climbed up the chart and hit number one in its eighth week on the chart and staying at number wow. one for one week. It sold 91,000 copies in its first and only week at number one, beating competition from Set You Free by Entrance, which for some reason re-entered the chart at number four. Baby Coming Over. Ah, remix, okay. Baby Coming yeah. Over by Samantha Mumba, which got to number five. And It Began in Africa by Chemical Brothers, which got to number eight. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Hey Baby, uh, ah, dropped one place to number two. And by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100. For 32 weeks. 32. Um, I have next to nothing to say about this, which is a surprise because this song is like. I remember like having the Now CD with this on and wanting to play it all the time as a kid. And over time, Aww. the words that I have said or thought about this song have just kind of faded into nothing, a la the end of Infinity War. Um, yeah. This is another one for the it's faster so it means it's new category of covers that we seem to have stumbled upon yeah. in the early 2000s. I find this very, very, very annoying, but I sort of admire how much the entire second half of the song seems precision engineered just to upset me. Like the last two <laughs> minutes of the song are just the chorus over yeah. and over and over again. And just when you think it's yeah. going to stop, they do a key change and then oh. when you think it's going to stop a second time, they bring the chorus back over those hand claps and nothing else. It's just, <laughs> I just can't believe that like it has turned into like this big football chant and whatever. But I mean, it's kind of died out a little bit now because nobody wants to do the uh, ah thing. I feel like we've moved on from that kind of novelty and opening ourselves a bit up to cringe a little bit just collectively so yeah those are my thoughts on it it's very very annoying um the the original song is fine um this is a very irritating version of it just even even the title there you wonder with with england's current success in the world cup you wonder if neil diamond might suddenly decide to cash in and release sweet caroline parentheses Dun, dun, dun. well this is um Christ. you know um living next door to alice yeah. Where that was a song that, like, for years, it was just 24 years I've been living next door to Alice, and then no vocals. But at yeah. some point <laughs> along the way, we got the ad lib, who the fuck is Alice? And <sighs> no one knows where that came from or when it started, obviously after the song was released. But it's of another course. one of those things where, like, the ooh, Ah, it's just one of those ad libs that just now people think is just the song where it's it's not it's, it's just an ad lib. But never mind, Andy. Yeah. 
How about it? <laughs> uh, well, I have a, a. It's not a story, really, more just a kind of anecdote. Um, but it, bizarrely, Rob, mine also involves a haven park. Like, what are the odds of that? Ooh. That's strange. Um, so, you know how you said this entered in at 94 and gradually crawled its way up the chart to the point where it then became the mainstream and became a big hit, like it reached a sort of critical mass? I was actually, I remember that happening because at the Haven camp I was at, there used to be this sort of um, kids dance routines thing every night where you do the same songs every night and the kids who were there for the week would keep on learning the songs and you'd do them with the, the blue coats or whatever they were called every, every night. And yep. one of them was Hey Baby by DJ Otzi, which I didn't know at the time. Um, and I don't know, I can't remember what moves you did. I think you did some highly regrettable pelvic thrust to the uh, ah. Um, mm. But there was there was also Follow the Leader by, I can't even remember who sang that. You know, that Follow the Leader, Leader, Leader. That was one of them as well. Yeah. Um, and basically then it just, I, I left that holiday and it just sort of went off the boil. And about a month or two later this started getting big and I was like, wait, this is new? Like, I assume this has already been a song because that was at Haven. And then, like, it came around again and I was like, huh, so people are only just hearing about this and I felt vaguely cool. <laughs> and really, being able to feel vaguely cool about your knowledge of Hey Baby, uh, ah, by DJ Otzi is quite a feat. So I'm quite proud yeah. of that, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, can I suggest that if we don't like this song, we could call it Hey Baby, uh, ah! Yes, yeah, absolutely, because that's actually yeah. closer to what it sounds like in the song. They sound horrified <laughs> by themselves. Ugh, ah! I, I kind of feel, think it sounds a bit like throwing up. Like, hey, yeah. baby. Ah! <laughs> yeah. it's like, like you've just been attacked in Resident Evil. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> yeah. Or like you sort of caught yourself on like, you know, when the pan spits some oil. It's like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, oh, um, I, I kind of mostly agree with Rob that although like, I danced to it in that Haven camp as a kid, it doesn't have any kind of nostalgia factor for me at all. Like, it's the most basic novelty song ever. You can barely describe it as a novelty song because it's not really got any kind of fun USP to it at all. It's just kind of a thing that exists. It's a bit like Itty Bitty... Um, teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini it's like what can you say about it it's just a thing that exists for fun and some people find it fun but for those who don't there's just literally nothing you can say about it um, it did kind of evolve that dance routine didn't it that I don't know if that's in the video but at family parties there's always been a dance routine that goes with it in my experience which I think people have just made up to be honest um, is that official is that like in the video the dance routine that people do to it or is that just made up does anyone know? I don't recall it. Well, there is one. I think no, it's a bit like the right. Saturday night one, where I think the one for Saturday night, I don't know if that's an official thing, but I might be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, it just sort of evolved. I can kind of see why it got number one, because it's catchy enough. It's, you know, I think it's only catchy because, like Rob says, it repeats that chorus 10 billion times at you, so it's kind of hard for it not to get in your head. And it's simplicity itself. But um, it's really, really rubbish. Like, it's just so rubbish. <laughs> I mean, to follow Bob the Builder at number one as well, it's like, God, can you imagine what music critics were going through at this time? Or, like, the presenters of Top of the Pops, just like, oh, come on. Can we have something decent for once? I, I actually remember the um, the Record of the Year show from this year, um, where it, it's just the way Record of the Year, it was quite fair the way they did Record of the Year, where it was just the 20 top-selling UK 
song, UK songs of the year got nominated for record of the year and then they'd all get played on the show and Anton Deck presenting it actually made a point of saying you can vote for whoever you like but please don't vote for DJ Otzi like really it was that hated <laughs> um, that they were just openly asking people not to vote for it <laughs> yeah um, and it didn't win thank god it didn't win it would have been Westlife probably but um, yeah I, I've said everything that I can possibly say about this it's fine uh, no it's not fine it's rubbish it's rubbish Um it's inoffensively <laughs> rubbish. Like it's 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 rubbish in a way that like I've got nothing out of it at all. Um, it doesn't like make make me angry in terms of what's in it. It makes me angry that there's nothing in it. It's just it's just bland. Um, Lizzie, what do you think? Yeah, well, I will thank you, Andy, for unlocking a memory for me. That was Tiger Club at Haven with ah, Rory, the Rory the Tiger. Rory the Tiger, of yeah. course. Rory yeah. the Tiger. Jesus, the thorn oh. in the side of every parent ever. <laughs> God. Yeah. So many summer holidays in Wales spent drinking, you know, those like blue slushy drinks that they tasted great for like the first two sips and they tasted horrible. Just and you're dancing, on, you're dancing on a carpet that looks like a bus seat. Yeah. yeah, I'm sort of like, well, it's those carpets I was talking about last week at the bowling alleys, but like, yeah, I'm just getting flashbacks yes. to like those, those like children's play areas that look fucking massive when you're seven years old and then you look at one when you're like 18 and you're like, oh, they're pretty small. And yeah, yeah. fruit shoots and slushy machines. Oh, memory unlocked. Jesus. Well, memory unlocked. Talk about memory unlocked. Just to, just to, sorry, sorry, Lizzie, before you get going, I've just realised actually that that holiday I was reminiscing about. Do you remember last year I talked about when I saw A1 at the Blue Peter Road show in Scarborough? This is the same holiday. I've just realised that's the same holiday. I was staying at the Haven camp. So yeah, I've managed to reference that same one week holiday twice. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see if we can do it for a song every year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right, okay, this song, like, well, as recurring listeners will know, we secretly keep individual scores of each song, and this very nearly got my lowest score yet, but, much like in our last episode with Atomic Kitten's Eternal Flame, sometimes a song that clearly isn't very good in the grand scheme of things can move you in unexpected ways. Like, don't get me wrong, this is still a very bad song, the production is dirt cheap. The synths sound very farty, and <laughs> DJ Otzi yeah. himself sounds like a singer at a karaoke bar when you've you've stayed for slightly too long, and everyone's a bit too used to the taste of cheap wine. But there's something at least endearing about this song. While I still have to mark it down for its obvious shitness and the fact that it clearly runs out of ideas very quickly and the presence of a very ugly key change with all the subtlety of a sledgehammer despite all of that there is something quite charming about watching top of the pops after a life-altering tragedy and seeing this paul hollywood of the austrian alps pumping his fist and having the time of his life after he's just turned 30. Yes, really. (laughs) And uh, being up there like he's singing We Are The Champions at Wembley Stadium and treating it like it's the biggest thing ever because it is. He's a fucking number one singer Mm. from Austria. Like, you never would have dreamed that this would ever happen with a song that sounds like this. It's, so, it's remarkable, isn't it? How he can yeah. he he can like go at it with such energy and have such little personality. Like there is absolutely no 
like substance to his voice at all. You don't get anything from it. It's almost scientifically impossible to give such energy, but still be so completely vacant. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, he's, you know, nearing 55, and he looked 55 when he was 30 in 2001. <laughs> but again, like, it's just this unlikely thing that's happened. Again, I think going back to what I said before, that maybe 9-11 kind of broke the charts for a bit, which means, like, it's a bit like in 1968 and 69 when all the big bands like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, they were all releasing albums rather than singles, which means you got, like, Desmond Decker at number one, which would have been unheard of a couple of years ago. But it's a kind of similar thing. Uh, But it's just a shame that the song isn't very good. But saying that, I would much rather have a bad song, which is unintentionally funny, than a song that tries to be funny and fails miserably. But you'll have to wait until next week for more on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wonder, yes. (laughs) Yeah, gee, what could that be? (laughs) All right then, our final song this week, our fourth and final song, is this one. Oh, finally a good one. Yeah. This is Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie, or Kylie Minogue, whichever one. She was Kylie Minogue, but she went by Kylie for this album. Who knows why? Uh, Released as the lead single from her eighth solo album, Fever, Can't Get You Out of My Head is Kylie Minogue's 33rd single overall to be released in the UK. It is her sixth number one in the UK after I Should Be So Lucky, Especially For You, Hand On Your Heart, Tears On My Pillow, and Spinning Around all reached the summit between 1988 and the year 2000. It is not the last time we'll be discussing Kylie on this podcast. Can't Get You Out of My Head went straight in at number one as a new entry, knocking DJ Otzi off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for four weeks. 
think that's our longest run so far on the show. It's uh, in its first week at number one, it sold 307,000 copies, beating competition from Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm, which got to number three. In its second week at number one, it sold 181,000 copies, beating competition from Chain Reaction by Steps, which got to number two. In its third week at number one, it sold 122,000 copies, beating competition from Sven 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 by Bell and Sperling, which got to number seven, and Fat Lip by Sum 41, which got to number eight. In its fourth and final week at number one, it sold 96,000 copies, beating competition from You Rock My World by Michael Jackson which got to number two. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Can't Get You Out of My Head dropped one place to number two, and by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 30 weeks, but it was in our hearts for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Um, Andy, Can't Get You Out of My Head. Uh, Oh, well, thank you, Rob. I never knew you cared. Well, you know. Um, Go ahead. How do you feel about this? First of all, um, it's it's a bit of a shame that having just come from the dentist, you didn't ask me to discuss a song called Fat Lip. That was a, you know, that's a shame that that didn't happen. Anyway, Great song too. Um, uh, stand by that one. Yeah, yeah. It is a good song, yeah. So this, oh blimey, I am honoured to have been uh, to given the first segment on this one. <laughs> so you know we give our secret scores, which we, for some reason, I don't know why, we decide to keep that secret from you, dear listeners, Um this is one of only two songs that I will be giving a 10 so far. Um, this is pop perfection. This is like, I mean, especially following up after the two garbage songs that we've had before this. Oh my lord, talk about a bolt from the blue. I think this is one of those songs where it's not dependent on any one particular element. It's not dependent on the actual lyrics is not dependent on the music it's not dependent on the production or the artist or the music video or anything like that because it's everything like everything comes together and it's every single time you listen to this i kind of feel like you are in that kind of unique space that this song occupies where it's like back in 2001 this is just like nothing else out there it's the coolest song in the world and you just want to be kylie or maybe that's just me realizing i was gay as i was growing up sort of wanting to be kylie but anyway um the thing about this as well is that you have to sort of i said this last time when we discussed spinning around but i think it's important to put in context where we are in kylie's career that we look at it now as essentially sort of like the uk well not uk she's australian but we treat her as sort of like our madonna where she's just kind of one of those icons that's always been there always will be and you know at this point kylie been around for about 14 15 years it's not that long really and it's at that awkward stage where it's long enough that she absolutely could have disappeared um, you know, it, it, she's comparable to someone like where Lady Gaga is now, or Katy Perry is now in terms of that time frame. And yeah, you know, Katy Katy Perry's doing Just Eat adverts, so she's probably finished now. And Lady Gaga, she's well transitioning <laughs> into films, and she's still got a very successful pop career. But you know, she's sort yeah, of in a transition yeah. phase as well. And Kylie absolutely could have disappeared at this time, and she would have been one of those stars of the eighties and nineties that we look back on as someone like Cindy Lauper or Belinda Carlisle or anyone like that, who is just kind of another star. This is the moment where it's like, she's an icon for me. Um, because okay. I really cannot, I, I cannot like adequately emphasize enough at the time, how cool 
she seemed that it sort of seemed like she was just on another planet as opposed to everyone else. This this was sort of my first, not my first exposure to Kylie Minogue, but the first time I kind of paid attention and was like, who's this? Um, and she in, in that music video with that white hooded outfit like Princess Leia and with the car and the sci-fi scene, she just seems like this otherworldly person. She just seems like she, she's on some sort of different plane. Combine that with a song that just got... Oh, this song in terms of the writing right so first of all you get that hook that is so like deliberately an earworm to an almost offensive extent that if it was in a different song it might not work it would just be like you know that song by um sam smith and naughty boy that that one which is really annoying but it's sort of like the same idea in terms of the la 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 thing but you put it in a song that's got really modern really different kind of production and that kind of just juxtaposition makes it cool and you have it sung by Kylie Minogue who does it in that sultry way so it's not just like la 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 it's like la 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 like it's you know it's beckoning you in it's got this sultry sense to it I can't think of a better word than sultry so I'm just going to keep saying sultry um and then you've got like about 10 different hooks built into the rest of the song you know I think every single part of this song is like sort of uniquely memorable in its own way. It's one of those songs that I think almost everybody could sing all the way through because every single part of it stands in its own right. You know, the chorus is brilliant. The verses have that. Well, the verse kind of is a second chorus with the can't get you out of my head. You could argue what is the verse and what is the chorus because both of them are so strong. Um, and then you've got the la la la's, which is sort of its, again, its own main melody in its own right like they packed this song with so much given it stylization in the video that really sort of elevates it and given it to a singer that just could not be a better match for it right at the point in her career where she really needs to pull a rabbit out of the hat um, and you get lightning in a bottle everything comes together you have the perfect song with the perfect production for the perfect singer to sing it um, and I just think you could not possibly have done better with this song. I have no criticisms of it. It's it's not quite the best song we've ever covered on this podcast, I don't think. For me, that's still a um, dear beloved song from last year, which I'm sure everyone will know what I'm referring to. But um, this is up there. As as I, I've always kind of thought that of the whole century so far, this is one of the great pop songs, um, just in terms of this is how you do pop music and make it unforgettable. Um, it's perfect. It's brilliant. Yeah. Lizzie, don't know how you can follow that. <laughs> don't know how I can either. But, well, um, we'll, 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 so we'll give it a go, but you first. <laughs> Getting you back I mean, for all that fantastic comedy before. Follow me this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a try because, like, Andy, I'm really glad you said all of that and you summed it up so well. I think you did brilliantly. Because, and I'm also, I'm also glad you did because as much as I love this and I think it's brilliant, I don't have that much to say about it. I feel like I'm almost a bit too familiar with this in that I remember this from the time and that it was everywhere. It was endless. It was on the like on the music video stations. It would be on like every hour, once maybe twice on the radio. It would be the same affair, and it was just like. I think this might be my first exposure to overplay. Mm. And yes, I actually agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's like, as, as much as I did try really hard to listen to this in isolation, and I do appreciate it, and I do think it's brilliant, it is, it's one of those cases where I wish I could kind of experience this for the first time over again. And I don't think I ever will be able to, because, well, obviously not, but I feel like I struggled to view this in isolation in a way that I didn't with um, Groove Jet, for example, which I which I also love. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of a side note to this, but because this is fantastic, and this is, as I've been saying throughout the whole episode, this is the only song in this that points the way forward. I can see... I can see acts like, I don't know, I'm trying to think, just like Goldfrap or The Gossip, you know, in this. I can see <laughs> stuff from like the late 2000s coming through in this and it feels sort of so far ahead of its, well, not really totally ahead of its time even. It's very obvious time, but it's kind of, it's aged really well. And... Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, it's just I, I think that's true, and especially the time that we're in at the moment, where I think we've, in well, maybe not so much now, but a couple of years ago, we were going through a bit of a trend of stripping things back to basic principles, really. And I think this song actually does that, where although, like I said, there is a lot packed into it in terms of hooks and memorable bits, that's actually all that it really is, and it's deceptively simple as a song. Exactly. And there's been some yeah. massive hits in the latter part of the 2010s that again the the key to their success is that they are so simple but so effective. Um and I think that's that's one of the legacies of this song. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, like this takes the kind of disco stuff that we've already discussed a couple of times and it just like you say it pairs it right down to quite a minimal instrumental but that gives uh, Kylie's vocal like space to breathe and yeah it's all the better for it because yeah this is great um, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever be able to top what Andy said about this but <laughs> it, it is it is fantastic and it's it's up there with being the best of 2001 easily I just wish mm. I could hear it for the first time again and kind of regret that I can't Oh. My uh, my story uh, comes here about um, a vivid memory I have of one of our news headlines from okay. before linking up with uh, yeah. with one of the songs, um, which is watching on my, in my grandma's front room, watching David Beckham score that free kick for England against Greece on my own because my mum, my gran, and my mum's sisters, my aunties, they they were all in the other room. And I remember the game finishing and England qualifying for the World Cup and then switching over the the channel and the music video for Can't Get You Out of My Head was, was playing at the same time. And I remember singing it to myself as I skipped through happily to the dining room in my grandma's house to tell my mum that England were in going to be in the World Cup in 2002 and it's a really really vivid memory I even remember wearing that white shirt with the red pinstripe down the left hand side um, yeah yeah and on that day I found out later um, that my dad had actually gone to the game and not told me because uh, he'd been given tickets and he didn't want me to be upset um, <laughs> so he, he, I found out years later that he'd been 
uh, to that game because he didn't want me to because he couldn't get tickets for me. He, he was oh. offered tickets by a work oh. friend or something like that, and so he he couldn't get tickets for me. So he just didn't say that he'd gone. And then I found oh. out years later that he'd gone. Um, the song itself, listening to this in context again, rather than in isolation, like you were saying, Andy and Lizzie, it makes you realise how much this completely changed, and Fever as a whole, how much they both completely changed the face of pop, and how yeah, much pop definitely. really needed a push into the 21st century, because you don't really realise it on its own, but then when you listen to all the songs that we've gone through over the past sort of like, you know, 18 months um, from January 2000 up to, you know, the summer of 2001. We've, we've literally just had three covers back to back, preceded by a load of other covers. And like where the year 2000 felt like a year of transition, like a hint towards something, some kind of future. There were things in there that sounded pretty fresh. And I think 2001 has had a handful of those too. But where 2000 felt like that year of transition, 2001 feels like it's been a bit of a year of stagnation in other areas. Lots of cover versions, lots of looking back for ideas, lots of groups coming to the end of their shelf life from the 90s. And to be fair, this is written by one of the guys from Mud and a singer who was briefly successful in the 80s. But it feels like the first song we've had in a while, maybe the first on the show, to really look forward. And not just, where can I take this? But more, where should we be going 10 years from now? Where should we be aiming yeah. to go? Because when you were talking before about um, Kylie and like how this... I feel like this whole video, single, album, or that the marketing, the connection and the synergy between the aesthetics and the video and the front cover and the remodeling of Kylie is like this... This I think this is... It's not maybe just based on her album covers, this feels like the first time she was marketed as a sex symbol, principally. She was, you know, she was looking really hot and cool and like, you know, the opening shot of the video for Spinning Around is the gold hot pants that like hug her ass really tightly. But mm. this video, this, the, that white kind of cloak outfit that's kind of like a little bit titillated, but not quite. And it's the same sort of outfit that she wears on the front cover of the album as well. And the mood of that album, like you were saying, Andy, that's very sensual and sexual. And the way that they've like double tracked her vocals and stuck them both in the left and right ear so that like she's kind of smothering your head in this lovely balm. Like the way she's, it feels like she's kind of stroking your ears with her hands. And it just feels like this all connected in a way that I don't think a solo pop artist would do again until about Lady Gaga, where that first album, the fame, everything just kind of aesthetically, sonically, visually, melodically, everything connected in a way that it did with Fever around the time. And like, I think as well, the time that songs are spending at number one at the moment, it's kind of like a, f I'd say history looks false. It's, which is weird because this is the longest run at number one we've had for nearly two years. And when you consider that this was only number one for four weeks, when, you know, we, we, we have songs that are number one for five weeks in future years that people don't remember anywhere near as much. The, yeah, the, the sure. singles charts are moving so fast at the moment yeah. in, in this particular period of history. So to hold on to four weeks like is, is is some achievement around this time um the music video 
that's even like looking about it's not even thinking about the next 10 years it's jumped forward 200 years in that video <laughs> it's gone for it's got it, it, that's what it's aiming for it feels like it's trying to go at light speed um i've said before on this podcast that my favorite kinds of kylie songs are her more mysterious and seductive ones rather than her bright and shiny optimistic ones contradicted slightly by the fact that my favorite kylie song is love at first sight which is also from this album um fever is full of those kinds of songs like come into my world and even things like more 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 where the way that she's doing this is where she really masters that kind of whisper singing that she really leans into on body language and x and where and we we even get it years later with slow and things like that and i love slow slow is slow and it's the first time that she does that kind of like i mean to be fair like at the start of impossible princess i forget the name of the song but she does all that fast whispering where it feels like she's trying to be her own bjork in a way um but it's kind of like with with this it feels like she's kind of standing at a distance i think kylie embodies the song in the video by wearing that that outfit I mentioned, that extremely low-cut dressing gown shawl thing where it's like constantly teasing and enticing and sort of like, oh, did I just get a glimpse? Nope. And it's like, it's always reminding you to look but don't touch. And I love that about the video where it's like, I am in my own space and you can watch and admire me, but like, if you think you're getting near me, no way. And it's like she's using the carrot and stick approach to kind of drag pop music and mainstream depictions of sex into the 21st century and with hindsight it's clear that it really achieved both of those things in fact i think it achieved them so formidably that for a long time people under a certain age you know we were talking about kylie's history and who she actually was as a pop artist i think people under a certain age probably forgot that she'd already been around for over a decade at this point this is the work of someone bursting onto the scene like yeah, not, well over a decade. Yeah, yeah, not someone who had a number one as recently as last year. This is a total remodeling and remarketing of someone mm. who... Th- this is where, as you said, Andy, she goes from being pop artist to pop icon. And as soon as that yeah. first bass thump comes in at the beginning, you're sort of like, oh, at the time, you must have been like, I haven't heard anything like this before. And since then, I don't think a song has managed to capture the very specific qualities that this one has. It's the sort of thing that comes along that makes everybody else want to copy it. And I don't think we're going to get moments like that on our run very often. I can think of maybe two more. There's one in 2002, and there's another in 2009. And they're rare and exclusive pop songs that I really, really love. And this is one of them. I think that the way that it rephrases the chorus every now and again is really, really genius just because it changes up the texture every now and again, um, just with Kylie's vocals alone. Because like you say, the arrangement is minimal and repetitive, but it's mesmeric and it's hypnotic, and Kylie's vocals really, really, really contribute to that. And I think that it has that same quality that I mentioned about the original version of Uptown Girl, where it doesn't feel like it has a particular obvious structure, but the dynamics and the sonics are constantly shifting and enveloping each other to the point where everything just sounds like a very long suspended bridge section. And there are certain moments where you're like, ah, that sounds a bit clearer than the what I think was the verse. But the verse being, I just can't get you out of my head. Boy, that's the catchiest bit of the song. And that's the bit that when you ask people, sing a bit of Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie, that's the bit they'll go to first. And that's the verse. 
Mm. And yeah. so that says everything to me that this is based, this could be all choruses and it could be all bridges, but either way, it works so well. Um, this, uh, yeah, this is really, really, really fantastic. Um, this is another one of my tens, actually. I, I, I was kind of holding off until I spoke about it. Um, but this is something. This, this is like, and like when people think of Kylie, they think of this Kylie, this video, this song for me. And that's a hell of an achievement on all levels. Song, music video, marketing, everything. It is perfect synergy and perfect pop. It really is. It's amazing. I love it. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So we've reached the end of the episode. Got a little job to take care of though first. It's our pie hole and our vault inductions. So, Do you think we might be putting a song in the vault this week, maybe? <laughs> possibly. Um, so, Too Close by Blue. Is that going one way or the other? Oh, God, I'd forgotten we even talked about that. Uh, no, no. <laughs> no, it's going in purgatory where it belongs. Uh, Mambo number five. Nah, it's not that no, bad. Not, no, no. Ah. Uh, hey Baby by DJ Otzi. I'm not going to put in... in I, I was really thinking about it just then, that it's, it's just a... Mm, no, I'm going to be kind enough to it that, no, it's not going in. Um, it's 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 not that bad. Like, it's inoffensive, and I think the vault should... Uh, the pie hole should be for things that are truly heinous. So, uh, no, no, that's not going in the pie hole for me. Well, Lizzie... I, I do think it's heinous enough to put it in, but yeah. I will say there's worse coming. <laughs> she <wait. laughs> Uh, I'm not going to put it in the pie hole or the vault. Um, and the final one, Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie Minogue. Vault. Uh, vault yep. for me. Yep, it's a triple oh, yeah. slammer. Our oh, first uh, since Roger Sanchez um, a couple of episodes ago. And before that, uh, Stan by Eminem. So, yeah, it's in, it's in great company. It really, really poor is. Hate. Poor Hey Baby is our first pie hole induction since Uptown Girl by Westlife at the start of the year. So, oh. sorry, Otzi. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Apologies, Mr. DJ. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll have plenty of company soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Next time, uh, we will be covering the period between the 21st of October... 2001 and the 24th of November uh, just because Christmas is coming up and I think like we've got a few work parties and stuff like that there may be a few uh, unexpected and unscheduled delays but just go to our Twitter feed we will let you know if anything gets in the way of us recording uh, one week or another over the next bit of time uh, so thank you very much for listening thank you very much for your lovely feedback over the past few weeks and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time thank you everyone bye bye